This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. So we're going to do you a minute. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Swinging a drive deep to center field. This one is going. Where is it going to land? Way up at the top of the upper deck to the right of the batter's eye. Holy smokes. Holy smokes is right. Jared Kelnick getting all of it, 455 feet worth, as he uh, definitely connected on that ball yesterday. Three more hits for Kelnick, two of them coming off a lefty, three runs driven in. You got the two-run shot, an RBI single later after Julio had a kind of excuse me double, and Kelnick drove him in. It was uh, pretty darn cool to see that full Jared Kelnick experience on display once again. Uh, Brock will be with us here in just a couple minutes, and look, I'll just say, Say, throughout all of last year, throughout all of the Julio hype, even as, you know, Kelnick was struggling and people wanted him gone and he's never going to get it and his, you know, his attitude isn't right or his mental state or his emotion, whatever it is. I just kept saying he's got the game to be my favorite player on this team. And I think we're seeing why right now. We're seeing what a fully developed Jared Kelnick looks like. The easy power, like you saw last night. I mean, that's not even a hard swing. He just naturally clubs the ball. The ability to spit on pitches he doesn't like. Right? You can talk through how he had three hits and three driven in yesterday, but as part of a rally late in the game when he didn't get a good pitch, he takes a 3-2 walk. Loved it. That was awesome. Success in close and late situations. The only Mariner above an 800 OPS in that spot this year. The speed, stealing bases, the defense, getting to tons of balls, good jumps, plays hard, crashes into walls. The baseball acumen, he's a very smart, naturally gifted baseball player. And then the edge that he plays with, the little extra attitude, the little extra sneer, the little extra, you know, extra (laughs) that he's got for everybody, whether it's a little smack talk or whatever. I just, I love this guy's game. I love everything about it. And when you get an opportunity to watch him do it all, I know there's been a lot of very fair frustration with this season. But have you allowed yourself at all to think about a future where Julio and Kelnick both both reach their potential at the same time? Have you thought about that at all? I'm working. I'm working towards it. Good. (laughs) Yes. Like, what does a future look like? Because honestly, yesterday, first time that I can think of in Mariner history that we saw a win truly triggered by Julio and Kelnick. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Now, it was against the A's and, you know, Julio's been struggling and all that. But you've got two of the most gifted young outfielders in baseball, and the idea of sticking them in the same outfield for the next decade is pretty darn enticing. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, and, and just dynamic. And they're just dy- that home 455 feet that you just play. I mean, that's just dynamic, and kind of like Julio did at times last year, Salk, and that speaks to their talent. They, they actually, when they're right, make this game look easy. Which very few, which very few in this sport can do, mm-hmm. and certainly the Mariners have never had two in the outfield. I mean, you could point to Buner and Griffey, I guess, right? I mean, that's probably the two best over their over their history, uh, being all stars. Obviously, Griffey, the one of the greatest to ever do it, and, and Buner was a heck of a sidekick for a bunch of those years. But 
but but it wasn't appearing of this level of athleticism. Even Buner, when he was 22, 23, 24, was not this caliber of athlete that either of these guys are. So, yeah, that was uh, that was exactly what the doctor ordered yesterday to come to home for this ten day ten day homestand, ten games in ten days against a bad opponent. And it, you know what? It didn't matter for the first forty games if it was a bad mm-hmm. left handed pitcher. Bad left handed pitcher dominated these guys, and that just uh, that didn't happen. And to watch those two peanut butter and jelly make a sandwich last night was pretty stinking cool. So let me ask you this, Brog, and I, I don't know, I don't know how to how to you know properly answer this question, but I, I think it's an interesting one. Is there any chance that Kelnick, of all people, as weird as this might sound, might be the best person to reach Julio right now? And the reason I ask, and, and here would be the argument in favor of it, right? What's what's Julio's issue? He's overswinging. He's trying to do too much, right? He's trying to hit that five-run home run. He's trying to, mm-hmm. you know, do all of it at the same time. And and we heard about it yesterday from Jason Benetti, and we've heard about it from Shannon and Passan, et cetera, that being pitched to like a star and all of that, he's he's not reacting well to it, and he's struggling now all of a sudden for the first time and trying to club his way out of it. Is there any chance that the guy who has most recently seen the darkest valley and come out the mm. other side – and has seemingly figured out how to do more by doing less is the perfect and maybe uniquely qualified to talk to Julio about the way out of this slump? Well, I would think once JK gets to 50, 60, 80, right, for himself, when when he realizes, okay, this is totally, totally real, right? This is, I, I'm not, I'm not changing. I'm not moving. What, what the, the, you know, everything I did in the off season, to revamp both from the neck up and my swing, it is it is real. It is working. I don't know if forty. What are we? Forty five games or so. For I, I don't know if that's that's enough. I'm just putting myself in his shoes to be sitting there going to Julio, who did all that he did a year yeah, ago. I don't think hey, he's hey, in a position hey, to go to Julio. You're right. A hundred percent. You don't go do that. But if I'm Julio. And I'm looking across the the clubhouse at this guy who we all saw over the last two years struggle as badly as any young players ever struggled in this game, right? To the point to where the you point and others you, were the, saying, well, there's nobody who's ever done it this badly for this long right. who's ever going to make. Like, that's right. Okay, well, he's 21, so chill out. In any well, event. You know, there, were two, there were two guys, Kyle Tucker and Jose Ramirez, were about the only ones with the number of at-bats that he had at that level of struggle. That was real. That's not a... Oh, I am trying to just rip J- Jared Kelnick. and you know, he was young. I mean, no, it was kind of like, no, it, it felt it, like that at times, but whatever. I get not from you, but from yep. others who were just like, no, I'm done. He's just another Mariner failure. It's Jeremy Reed. Like just another guy who can't hit like, okay, <laughs> maybe, or maybe he's so much younger than everybody else that he might not be of yep. that, you know, caliber right now. He's, he's still in for Julio. For Julio. Yes. But if Julio reached Julio, out to him, yes. I would think yes. he'd be the perfect person. Do we know much about their relationship, by the way? Do we know? Do they talk much? We do they hang know. out much? Do they we spend that... much time together? Hmm, good question. So we know that they were both at the uh, at the cracking game together a couple weeks ago, right? Right. So there's not yeah, zero yeah. relay. I mean, I mean that... there were right. There were a bunch of teammates. Yes. Ty France was there. Cal Raleigh was there. I mean, it, that was not a. That we was know a Julio and... they were. Wasn't there a conversation about them being in a wedding together? Like, I believe that there is a friendship there. I don't know if they're best friends. I mean, I don't know that I expect mm-hmm. them to be or anything like that. 
But I, I think we've been told that there's a bit of a relationship there that they know that, you know, there might be some friendly competition, but that they know that there's, you know, that the, this rebuild essentially hinged on their shoulders. Yes. So I had, uh, as I told you, I went golfing yesterday. Oh, yeah. With your future son-in-law. Yes. I got, I got lots of stories. It <laughs> <Really>? was. <laughs> I actually do. And it, yeah, I, I think I played with the most eccentric golfer I have ever played with because the two of us got paired with two others. One of them named Jet weighed 138 pounds and swung out of his shoes, but he was he was a good player. And then there was Bob or Bobby, who was 78 and needed us to watch everyone who shot. Oh, I think he was legally blind, but anywho, it was, it was tremendous. But Bob eventually found out and he's kind of kept asking questions and then, Oh, you play. Oh, so you played with Peyton and what was Peyton like? And I said, you know what, man, at that stage of his life, Peyton was very intense, very, very, very intense to the, you know, the, the Peyton, the people here and watch now and see compared to the Peyton at that stage mm-hmm. in 2001, four years, three, four years into his career. And I said, I mean, he didn't treat me bad. He was just really hard on himself and, and others at times. And, and his intensity was just, I mean, you couldn't really penetrate it, you know? And I think at times when they always talk about Jared, happy Jared, I think that's some of what it is, right? He has been so intense and Julio is wired so differently, mm-hmm. right? That That is not his game. That's not the way that he can play it. So they play baseball and they approach it with such different ends of the spectrum. I do wonder if those two can connect, Co- not, not not coincide. They will absolutely coincide as players. But when you ask, like, can Jose reach out to Julio, reach out to him? Can he, you know, can he get into that space? Right. Can he go Navy SEAL? Can he, you know, do his one-legged squats with well, Jared? Or no, is it like he's not going to do all of that? I mean, like, and that's not even really what I would expect. But could he say to him, hey? What what was it? What was it that worked? You know what? I would think so. I stopped man. swinging yeah. so hard. <laughs> I would think I, so. I just started trusting my ability. I just started trusting the fact, and they have been in the minor leagues Did at times swing together. Hard? Did no. he even swing hard at that home run last no. night? And it went 455 feet. I mean, he just has crazy natural power to it's go mobile. with all the other skills. Yeah, dude, the, yeah. he is super, super talented, man. They both Gosh. are. And if this is the beginning, if Julio oh. can get it going and we actually see what both guys hitting together looks like at the same time, look out because that is going to be an incredibly fun experience for every Mariner fan. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the bats were certainly out last night. The home run balls were coming as well. Jared Kelnick with a two-run shot to get them going early. And then Jose Caballero just continues his assault on the league. Stretch and the next off of the way. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to left center field. Is that number two? And it is goodbye baseball. Holy smokes, Jose Caballero with a three-run home run into the Mariners' bullpen. In left center field, the Mariners lead the A's 5 to nothing. Just nothing not to like about this kid's game, and now he's got home runs in his last couple. Julio had three hits. Kelnick had three hits, three driven in. Luis Castillo had his command back when six shutout innings was basically untouchable. Struck out the thousandth batter of his career. But Scott said afterwards that all of it started in a little pregame meeting and a, a tone change for these offensive players. Yeah, the, the tone was said earlier today when we got into the ballpark. Um, you know, the, the pregame meetings today and stuff, our players, our position players were not happy. 
um, you know, they know that our pitching has been doing an outstanding job, giving us a chance to win every night. We're not taking advantage of it. So um, talking to a few of the guys and then uh, sitting in the meetings today, there was definitely a different vibe about it. We need to pick it up. We need to get going. And now's the time. So it was great to see you tonight. Again, it's just a start. Yeah, just that reality that we talked a whole bunch about yesterday, Salk, that uh, it's not early anymore. That's right. <laughs> We're nearing that, that 50-game point and, and probably a reality for, I don't know, the Colton Wongs and the A.J. Pollocks that, hey, this is an organization that's not going to sit on their hands. This is an organization that's led at the very top by Jerry DePoto, who is a very active trader that is going to give people their opportunity. But if it's not going to work, you're not going to be here. It's going to be a, a fixed stage is, is right around right around the corner here. So, yeah, but whatever it took, whatever those conversations were, you know what that sounded like? Unlike maybe a couple weeks ago where it was led by Scott, mm-hmm. this feels like it was led by the players, that they came to the reality. The boys, it ain't early anymore, and it's time we start picking up our end of the bargain. That's exactly right. Three more against the A's should help you uh, go out there again today. Marco Gonzalez will put his, what do you think his ERA is? Just It's over there. six now. 6.10 ERA yep. on the line against Luis Medina and the A's. Here's the second thing you need All right, to let's know. Let's go. Uh, injury updates. Brock Cal Raleigh mostly positive as he was able to get back out there yesterday. Had an MRI in his neck. It was negative. No structural damage, but they're still going to have to be a little bit careful. Dylan Moore should return in this homestand. So if that's the case, you just said Colton Wong and Sam Haggerty, some of those guys. If he comes back tomorrow, what are you doing? Hmm. You gonna send Haggerty down to the minors? Yeah, you're gonna send Haggerty down, right? Uh, he's he's got options. Colton doesn't have any options. No, you'd have so, to DFA him. Yep. So I think you probably send. Don't you send Haggerty? I think you send Haggerty. I don't think I do. You're done with Wong. You're ready I think to I'm just done. DFA him. Because honestly, if Dylan Moore is gonna play, then I would rather have the speed off the bench of Haggerty than Colton Wong. But the Mariners got too many guys that aren't doing it. Like, Chris Flexen's on the team. Did you know that? I saw him pitch yesterday and was night, like, oh, my God, guys. I forgot Chris yeah. Flexen existed. Yeah. He's just taking up a roster spot right now. I, yeah. I don't need Colton Wong to just take up a roster spot. Andres Munoz feeling better. He could return. He's the, through a light bullpen. That's nice. They're looking for early June. Penn Murphy could return on the next road trip. Evan White had hip surgery. And then uh, poor Easton McGee, the one start. Pitch great. And now Tommy John is going to be out for a full year. Like a no-hitter through like six innings. Poor guy. Tommy John, not good. By and large, though, that is good news. And the best news, honestly, of all of that, as far as impact goes, was that Cal Raleigh did not have a herniated disc. Cal Raleigh did not have something structurally going on. As you know, I do know spine, and usually when you have spasms and some of these other things, that is why you have to get an MRI. You have to see what is causing that issue. Is there something structural there? And if there was something structural in the neck, that would have been a very, very bad deal. So that, to me, was the best news of all of those injury reports. And the big Munoz is starting to feel better. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, it was uh, nice to see the Seahawks out there. Full squad OTAs yesterday. By all accounts, great success. Almost everyone was there. No Tariq Woolen, Daryl Taylor, another notable absence. That one surprises me a little bit since he's in a contract year and the team did just draft another second rounder who plays your position. But we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Artie Burns uh, re-signed as uh, was a young uh, undrafted rookie uh, nose tackle named Latrell Bumpfus. But uh, Gino Smith focused on some interesting folks afterwards. Yes, he 
get a lot of praise for Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he was pretty clear that he has a new relationship with D. Eskridge, who looked pretty good yesterday. Yeah, I, I really see the growth in his his mindset, you know, his mentality. He wants it. He's always wanted it. He's always had that ability. But I think, you know, he's obviously has some setbacks. But um, I can see just in his mental makeup that he's ready, you know, to take that next step. And um, it's my job to help him, you know. And so that's why I want to be there with him. But he's working his butt off. He's super explosive out here on the field. I mean, he's one of the more explosive guys I've ever seen. So, um, you know, if, if we can get him where, you know, I think he'll be, I think it'll help us out a lot. We've seen it before at that position now. I mean, Golden Tate had to learn how to be a pro. Paul Richardson, it didn't come instantaneous. It took him a little while and mostly because of injury. And for D, I'm sure that's what his agent and and folks would tell you is that, hey, man, this young guy has just been nicked up. You know, he's had injuries. He's had concussions. Those, you know, concussions are no joke. And, yeah, he he, he hasn't put it all together. But he is – you know, Mora was out there yesterday watching it. He is a dynamic, explosive guy. Just his raw numbers, as Gino said. Like, man, his his stuff is is different when it's right. And you know what? When, once that light bulb comes on, I watch it with guys in my rookie class years ago. Like, oh, this isn't forever? Like, just because I was drafted and drafted in the second round doesn't mean I'm not going to be. I'm going to – I have a chance of not being here? What? What? And that reality can hit you pretty square. Sounds like it has for D. And he's doing the right thing, too, man. You know what you need to do? Go buddy up to the QB. Yeah, no kidding. If you want to have an advocate, and in a day and age where you need an advocate, the starting QB that just got paid would be a pretty good one to maybe go hip to hip with and get your work in. All right, that is uh, everything you need to know. Brady Henderson will give us a little more on uh, what he saw out there coming up here in just a couple of minutes. The one thing I will just take a little umbrage with is, you know, Rashad Penny was hurt a lot, but when he was healthy... You saw it. Mm-hmm. Five, six yards per carry. Yes. Right? I mean, CJ Procise hurt constantly. He had a yep. knee and a knee and an ankle and an ankle and a shoulder. and a... But when he was out there, you saw it. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it with D. When D's been out there, I haven't seen jack squat. Yeah, you've seen a jet sweep for 10 yards. You see a little bit of a burst, right? You, you see a little bit. You see a, a very, very quick flash. Is it the green flash that, that, that you see at the sunset over yes. the ocean? Yeah. Why? Yeah, uh huh. So that's about what you see. Like you got to really watch for it to see it. Oh, there was. I think I I saw. I've seen it about as well as I've seen the green flash. (laughs) I mean, like I think they might, uh, so far at least, uh, be in the same category of mythical figures. But hey, if it's there, good for him because right now he's looking like the fourth or fifth receiver on this team. So, and there's a spot. There's no Marquise Goodwin. There, there is, there is a, there is a spot. You know, there. It's going to be hyper-competitive. I don't know how many reps you're getting. I don't know if you're going to be out there with the ones, but there is a spot to be made on this team at that position if he can put it together. All right. Were there any issues with Woolen or Taylor or anybody else not being there? Where were they? Who stood out? We'll ask Brady Henderson those questions and more. Coming up next, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our next guest is Brady Henderson of ESPN. ESPN.com does a great job. I got to see uh, Brady's new spot on his uh, in his marina, Brock. He's got a little better view from his boat. Oh, really? Things are uh, looking up in Brady's world. He's did, also, he, he's, did he make you carry his clubs down to the boat? No. After you parked since no. he kind of smoked you? No, he did oh, smoke okay. me, though. Yeah, that, I mean, that's for sure. Brady is hitting the ball harder than ever. And I got I to gotta give him props publicly. 
He did drive the green on number seven at Druids. Now, lipped out the eagle putt. We don't need to discuss that part of it. Right, but he did right. drive the green, and I feel like I at least owe him starting off this interview by mentioning that fact. And, Brady, nice job. Very impressive. That, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm still a little bit salty about that putt <laughs> doing the dirty 90-degree lip out, but you can't be happy. You can't be unhappy with tapping pars. I know. Good day. Really good day at Druids. It's a tapping birdie, but whatever. Tapping birdie. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, Most of the people are tuning in right now to hear about the Seahawks right. and OTAs. Oh, yeah. But I am so deeply curious, Brady, as you know. I, I know how you played. I heard it. How did Salky play? Give me give me Salky's. Oh, dude, you, this is unnecessary. No, I'm not even talking about your score. I'm talking about your you know talking that. about your personality. I'm talking about your temper out there. I'm talking about just how you handled how did Salky handle his day at Druids? Yeah, well, look, I'm I'm not here to dox anybody, and I don't I don't know what Mike Salk shot, but uh, I will say that he uh, the temperament was good. Uh, I will say that he outdrove me. He absolutely smoked a drive on the fourth hole, hit like a Tiger Woods British Open stinger uh, that probably didn't get like more than twenty feet off the ground, and was probably like sixty yards away from <laughs> the green. So. Uh, yeah, oh, I mean, boy. the temperament was good. Some of the drives were looking really good. Score, maybe not where he wanted it to be, but, uh, you know, it's all there. Good. Good. That's what I like to hear. More yeah. importantly, Brady, <laughs> what stood out yesterday at Seahawks OTAs? <laughs> Let's move this away from my stupid golf game and on to what you noticed yesterday. <clears throat> yeah, what stood out? Now, I, I say this, like, fully realizing the, you know, scoffing and the eye-rolling that's going to ensue. But oh, geez, think, here it goes. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was uh, D. Eskridge and just how, like, fast and explosive and fit he looks. And, like, you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, it was May 22nd. This is an OTA. This is not, like, real football. Um, but I think, you, you know, you are – I did – keep a really close eye on him during some of the drills. And I think the value of watching those drills is like, it's an apples to apples comparison. You can see what, you know, a four, three, nine 40 looks like versus a four, five, five, 40. You can see what a early round pick, you know, looks like uh, compared to a, a late round undrafted guy. And he just looks, just looks really smooth. And it was not really a revelation. It's just more of a reminder that like, if this guy can stay healthy, obviously that's a big if, but uh, he he maybe can do some things. And I was talking to somebody with the team yesterday who, uh, you know, brought up the Golden Tate comparison. And I think Pete Carroll may have even mentioned that at some point uh, last season or maybe earlier this off season. But that was another guy who took a couple years to really, you know, come into his own. An early round pick who, probably in the same way, you know, kind of got by more on athleticism. And because he was always just such an athletic guy, didn't really pay attention to the finer points of the position. And I wonder if. You know, some of the same thing has, has contributed to D. Eskridge being held back in addition to, obviously, the injuries. So, um, again, it's it's May 22nd, and there's a long way to go. And I'm really interested to see, A, if he can keep it going health-wise and what he looks like when you, know, you start to get into more football and you, you need some of the instincts and the understanding of the playbook to take over. But I was watching him yesterday. I saw him get some, some nice props from Sanjay Law, who, you know, coaches guys really hard. is not patting guys on the back just to give them compliments. And so – uh, I think it was an encouraging start for him. Remind me, Brady, and it's nice to know you're still in the marina that sometimes gets a little choppy underwater there, but remind me about D. Eskridge. Where is he in his career? Is this year three for him? And, you know, Salky and I were just chatting about him a little bit in Need to Know, kind of comparing and contrasting with C.J. Prosize and Rashad Penny and some of the guys that were so nicked up all the time. What were his injuries and where is he in his career right now? 
Yeah, so third season, he was a second-round pick uh, in 2021. That was the year they only had the three draft picks. Missed, you know, a good chunk of the rookie season, of his rookie season, with a really bad concussion. Uh, and then last year, it was just never really got going. There was, I think, hamstring injuries and maybe something else, soft tissue things. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, he's he's it's got to happen now because they drafted a wide receiver you know, in the first round to take his spot, they've got Derek Young there. So, look, I, I I don't think you can like, I think you're at a point where you can't really count on anything with him, and certainly they weren't counting on him to be the number three guy or even the number four guy. Uh, you're almost at a point where like whatever you get from him is kind of a bonus. But I don't know, man. Watching him yesterday, it, and I, I get that there's a danger in reading too much into what happens in May and OTA when you're not in full pads, you're not you know going 11 on 11 all that much, but. Um, yeah, that was just a reminder that he's still there and he, yeah. he maybe could be a factor. How about tone and tenor of just the competitive level, just the tone and tenor, the noise factor, the, the you know, were there anybody out there just stirring it up, mixing it up? Obviously, Bobby back into the full. What was the, or was it a little bit more of a workmanlike afternoon as they got into the third phase of OTAs? Yeah, it, it's more of the latter. And that just tends to be how it is. I, in my observation in these OTAs, just because, you don't have the fans out there, uh, so it's just not as lively. Uh, you don't – I mean, you've got the music playing and everything, but it's not as hot, and you don't have, you know, the, the sort of uh, built-up agitation of all those spring practices and all the, you know um, – like you get an early training camp when the pads come on and you start doing the one-on-ones, and then that's when you see guys start going at each other just because – uh, I think they're starting to get sick of each other. Um, mm-hmm. And just the, the competitiveness naturally is ramped up when you get the pads on. So it's it's really not like that. I mean, remember, this is the part of the offseason where defenders can't even really challenge passes. And so it's, it's and that's another part of the Eskridge thing, right? Like this is a, a, a format that's really set up for offensive players uh, to stand out. So you've got to take that uh, into consideration too, just because you're not seeing guys contest balls in the air. You're certainly not seeing them tackle or even pop. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it's a lot lower intensity than what you'll see in training camp. What was it like seeing Bobby out there? Uh, it was, you know, sort of, I mean, he was smiling and, and you could just tell like how happy he is to be back. And it, it sort of felt like it sort of felt at least watching him like he never left. Um, and I know, uh, you know, talking to him afterwards, that was really the clear message from him and. Uh, I asked him what his biggest takeaway just from being away for a year, being in another city, being away from the Seahawks. And, you know, he thought about it for a minute and he, he came back to just gratitude and appreciation. And um, he didn't really get specific on that, but I think he was getting at the same thing that guys say whenever they leave. And it's almost become cliche because you hear it so often, but, you know, no matter how, you know, kind of bad the circumstances are when guys leave here, uh, they always seem to want to come back, and when they do come back, they, they really have a, an appreciation for just how things are done in Seattle, and I think that's what he was getting at when he said that. Before we get back to doxing uh, Salk's golf game. Um, Stop it. What? I, what? I don't I, want uh, to be doxed. How, how about this name? That I, I don't know if he's going to even get mentioned, and he certainly did a lot last year at this time and into the season. First name Drew, last name Locke. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I – I'm, I'm kind of sort of on an island, it feels like, because I continue to think that Drew Locke is a starting caliber player, and I hear some of the same scoffs whatever you know, that I heard when I uh, mentioned what I did about D. Eskridge. But, I mean, the guy is really talented. And um, just from, a, a, like, a pure talent 
perspective, like when you watch him and, and Geno Smith, certainly Geno Smith just looks more in command. And especially now, like the, the decision-making just looks better. And he just looks like a guy who was a starter last year. But from a talent perspective, you see some of the, the throws that Locke makes when he's on the run and he's, you know, off balance and the arm strength and the zip on the ball, like it looks the same. And so, um, yeah, the, the thing for him is if and when he does get the chance to play, he, he's got to be the point guard and he can't mm-hmm. be the gunslinger that he has been. And you saw some of that gunslinger. You certainly saw a lot of it in Denver. And even when he went to Seattle last year and was competing for that job and knew that, you know, one of the things he can't do is make mistakes. Just the gunslinger. I think old habits kind of die hard and you saw some of that. And so if he, if, and when he gets a chance to play, he's got to get that out of his game. But the talent is there, man. And that's why they resigned him. And that's why they really wanted to resign him. And I think that's, you know, certainly played a role in them not drafting a quarterback is knowing that, you know, look, you, you draft a quarterback, if it's Anthony Richardson or somebody else, you, you're, you're betting on the upside. Well, they think it, it, that Drew Locke's got a lot of that upside as, you know, a lot of untapped upside as a high round pick who's still a, a young guy. Uh, I don't want to make too much out of guys not being there. We spent enough time last week talking about Jamal Adams and his whereabouts, et cetera. But I'll, I'll at least bring up uh, Daryl Taylor's name because it, that's the one that surprised me a little bit, just given that the Seahawks drafted another guy who plays this position. He's in a contract year. What kind of season of importance is this for Daryl Taylor? Yeah, well, so he's not in a contract year. Like he's he's not going to be an unrestricted guy next year, but just because of the the fact that he spent uh, his first season, I think, on NFI with the college injury. So oh, okay. the way that works is his contract now his contract told. So he's actually going to be a restricted free agent uh, after this season, I believe. And so not not quite a contract year, but yeah, I, I was surprised not to see him there. And same with Woolen, I, I couldn't really. I in, in, you know when they. Uh, went and signed Artie Burns right after practice. My ears perked up, you know, having not seen Woolen out there. I couldn't really uh, get a straight answer on whether the two were related. I, I think it could be with both of those guys, just the fact that, look, these are voluntary. And, you know, sometimes things in life comes up where it's family obligation or whatever. Um, I know both of those guys have been with the team during, you know, earlier parts of the offseason program. And it wouldn't surprise me if both of those guys are there on uh, – <clears throat> Thursday when we have when they have the the next open OTA but yeah I mean I, I think Taylor is a guy who he's got a very good reason to be there when you think about the fact that they drafted you know for the second year in a row they drafted a guy in the second round to compete with him if not ultimately replace him and so um and that job I think is wide open you know that starting job at outside linebacker opposite Yuchenna Nwosu I think it's wide open, I, and, and that's why they drafted, you know, Derek Hall. I think both of those guys, Boye Mafe and Daryl Taylor, both show both had opportunities to play in that role last year. And Taylor, um, you know, he started out the season in that role and and just didn't have it in the run game. Just couldn't. I don't think they could trust him in the run game. And so, uh, but that job is still open, and that's why I would expect him to be at at that OTA on Thursday, assuming there's not something else going on. What about Boy Moffa? I mean, he he gets sort of you know forgotten about a little bit in that shuffle as well. I mean, he's a guy who was athletic and supposed to develop over time. Where's he at? Yeah, and you know he played a lot last year, and, and you just. There wasn't. I, I didn't see him making the impact that some of those other guys made, and and you know maybe that's not to should shouldn't be too surprising just because the book on him coming out of Minnesota was a guy who you know look I think he picked up football late and so you had all the, the talent there, all the ability, but 
just some of the instincts and the feel for football weren't really there. And so um, certainly he's a guy who can grow into that, but it just didn't seem like they were able to, to really clearly find a role for him that suited him. It was, you know, at first they wanted him to rush the passer and then he seemed like he was being used more in, in uh, early down run situations and um, just couldn't really get a group. So I, I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's a starter or if he's a situational guy. Um, he's certainly going to play just because there's the talent there. And you've heard them talk about how he's got everything that Cliff Avor had tools wise. So he's going to play, but I, I would like to see, I'd be curious to see if, you know, some of the instincts can really start to develop in year two. Cause I think that was part of what was lacking last year. Brady, I just want to know how many extra MPH you've got on that swing right now, because the crack sound mm. that it made when you, mm. when, when we filmed the one swing was something I've not heard from you before. So I don't know if that's clubs I don't know if you're just hitting the gym harder. I don't know what's going on, but there was no. definitely more club head he's, speed than I he's remember. He's trying to keep up with Joe Fan. I mean, they're just kind of in a head-to-head mm. competition. Two very good-looking young guys, right, that kind of up-and-comers, and they want to try to carry yeah, that, 280. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the video you're referring to, I think there are some acoustics involved oh. in that, just with the way that the, uh, you know, the uh, key box was set up. It was very quiet. But, yes, yeah, so it was very quiet yeah. in the gallery for that swing, which is what must have <laughs> exactly. been so loud. Brady, thank you. Much appreciated. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thank you. There See you ya. go. ESPN's Brady Henderson. <laughs> and, of course, uh, used to work here, friend of the show, station, et cetera. Some good stuff. Oh, and some... thank you, Brady, for less practice swings, too, if you're still on. Thank you for that. Appreciate <laughs> you know, it. You just, poor, poor Brady with the practice swings. <laughs> you're, just, you're just merciless oh, with shoot. that. Okay. Just merciless. And thanks for getting up early, too. That was really nice. That was nice. That you know what? Nice. Let's ask Brock some football questions. This is Brock and Sox's Blue 88. Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. Well, you heard Brady uh, wonder there about the Artie Burden signing yesterday. If you remember, cornerback veteran who was here last year, didn't really play, but Mm-mm. you know was sort of rumored to be a potential starter in the mix, et cetera, after coming from Chicago. Signed yesterday and the day Tariq Willem wasn't there. What do you think? Do you think those were related? I don't. I really don't want to think that it has anything to do with it. I want to think that Tariq is totally fine and had a graduation or, you know, just a life as Brady said, that happens, and, and, and I don't mind those things at all in a voluntary season. If there's a one-off or a week where you know something was scheduled with with family, so I, I want to believe that that's the case. That if there was something that happened to to Tariq, we would actually have heard about that and know that. But you want to start, you know, put together some conspiracy tape or thoughts while they drafted this kid, the fifth pick in the round, you know, like. So I, I'm going to believe DK Metcalf when he said, "Hey, listen." Settle down, Greg Bell. Like, mm-hmm. you need a veteran in that room. We, we need a veteran voice. Tariq is a second-year player. Devin is a, is a rookie. Yeah, Mike Jackson is there. Trey Brown is still young in his career, certainly young and experienced. So you want somebody that's been around the block. And, yeah, Artie Burns was was athletic, uh, was a guy of background in the system with Clint Hurt in Chicago, and unfortunately got, got a groin injury, a soft tissue injury or hamstring at the absolute wrong time and got lapped by Tariq Woolen and could never get his job back. So I think it's more to have a bit of a veteran voice, someone that has some seasoning, and for those young guys to, to lean into from an experience standpoint, though not decades in this league, mm-hmm. there's a little bit more than one or two years of seasoning. All right, question number two. 
Juno Smith uh, spoke for a while afterwards. We've played some of the sound of him talking about other people. What did you like of him talking about himself? Yeah, give me cut 16 here. I, I this, this resonated with me because this wasn't Dave Pearson telling him what to say. This wasn't cliche. This wasn't just some script. This was... Pretty consistent with Gino's mentality. I like this. He was asked here uh, whether he celebrated uh, the contract this offseason and reaching some level of stability. It's still year by year. I mean, I got to take it. I, I got to look at it like that. It's, it's one year at a time for me, and uh, my celebration was, uh, you know, when I picked up my baby and, you know, hugged him up, and then I went to the weight room, started, you know, got back to work, man. Just got to gotta stay in it. You know, I'm just trying to stay, you know, keep working and just, you know, focus on ball. And in the way this contract is structured, <laughs> it is year to year. This isn't some three-year, you know, guarantee into it, and you know, 150 million guaranteed. And no, no, no. This is if if I want to make my money, I got to keep performing and mm-hmm. and keep reaching these escalators because there's a whole bunch of incentives that if I do what I did a year ago and we get to the playoffs and I throw for these amount of yards and I get to the Pro Bowl, guess what? I get even more money escalated. So I I like that mentality. And I think what you heard there from Brady and why I asked about Drew Locke is it reminds me a little bit of, do you remember that sound from the season that we played of Ryan Fitzmagic? Where Ryan Fitzpatrick said of all the guys that he was around along all of those stops, the guy that could just spin it was Geno. Like he knew that he could throw it. Well, I guarantee you, Geno Smith looking over his shoulder knows that Drew Locke can flat out throw it, man. Right? Like he, he is back to our little golf analogy, golf hour. He's that guy on the range that is just an easy 300. Like, whoa, how does he do that? How does he, man, he makes this look pretty easy. So it's not as if he's got slappies behind him either. He's got a pretty talented guy. And if Gina learned anything, man, in this, in that competition and in that culture, it doesn't matter what your contract is, doesn't matter where you've been from. It matters how you're competing and how you're playing. So I think that's also another reason why old Drew Locke is back in the fold and pushing Gino in that competition. All right, still. question number three. We mentioned some of the attendance slash roll call. No Jamal Adams. We talked about Daryl Taylor, et cetera. What do you make of it all? I'll keep a little eye on Mario Edwards. I'd like to see him, right? He's another name that we can add to that list when we were talking to Lewis Riddick yesterday. Like, you know, in, in what you have totally hammered, rightfully so, you know, for the last three, four weeks after this draft. Well, how are you going to stop the run? How are you going to stop the run? How are you going to stop the run? And we pointed yesterday to, to Jaron Reed and Dre Jones and Devin and, and Bobby, a big part of that. Well, so is Mario Edwards. He's been around the block. I mean, he's a 290-pound guy that, that's that's powerful and strong. So not surprised uh, with the, the Johnny Cash of the NFL that, you know, he's been everywhere in the seven different teams and a voluntary practice May 22nd. Eh, I'm good. But eventually, I'd like to see him at some of the voluntaries. I hope he's not a, yeah, I'll just show up the ma- the mandatory minicamp kind of guy. Uh, I would like to see him a part a of it. He has been around a while. So that is some of the mentality. And I'm sure some of it is, hey, man, you, you didn't pay me that much. Like, I was out on the streets. And, and, you know, you could turn that around and say, you're right, Mario. We didn't pay you a lot because the market didn't pay you. And everybody else didn't pay you. So come in here and be a difference maker. So I'd like to see him sooner than later. And we'll keep an eye on Taylor and Woolen. Keep an eye on the next open practice, which is Thursday, where there will be that next Ferris Bueller roll call. All right. That is uh, three good football questions for Brock. We call it. Blue 88, and we do that every morning at 745. Um, How about more out there taking some just hearty notes? I yeah, know you started the show with it. More and, and Brady both picking out D. Eskridge as sort of their yeah. guy that stood out. 
Were you two talking together more? Is that where some of that came from and germinated? Or uh, We did talk. I was mostly asking him if he had seen the, the missing players. Uh, we right. didn't talk about Eskridge, no. And you said it was kind of quiet out there, huh? It wasn't as if there was 50 media members or, and you know, it was just uh, some of the... Oh, and, I did, and just even some of the, um, like last year, I remember right off the bat being like, oh, Daryl Taylor feels more comfortable now that some of like the the uh, guys that have been there forever are gone. Like he was just loud and he was dancing and I, I didn't see a lot of that yesterday. It was, it was all business. Yeah. I think this is going to be a little more workmanlike crew. I mean, we know that's the way Bobby rolls anyway, mm-hmm. right? Even, even amidst all those personalities for all those years and he had the C on his chest, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the one out there dancing. You know, he was the one just kind of working. And we know that about the rookie class last year that the Ken Walkers and the Abe Lucases and the Charles Crosses and the Tariqs and, you know, all of them, Boye, maybe Kobe Bryant. I think Kobe will be kind of interesting to watch. I think he's got a little bit of juice to him. But by and large, man, this is a professional workmanlike. look tight at the hip, That's I true. think is a good thing. Yeah, he and Quandre. Yeah, Quandre would be the one. Yep, Quandre would probably be the mm-hmm. one with a little bit of a live wire, too, and, and willing to bark. You buying this D-Eskerts thing? So you gave you gave Penny a well, yeah, lot of opportunity. Yeah, why were you so all in on Rashad Penny before that five game stretch where he really right. went off? You why gave were Penny you were so all in on him, but you're down on D. You gave Penny a lot of grace even before he performed. Right? You you, you had a lot of intrigue with him. Is it because you've just seen nothing? Haven't seen anything? What do you mean, Rashad Penny? Every time he touched the ball, was a threat to do something. What did you call him, Rashad? Rashad Penny. <laughs> okay. His- for the first year, I don't remember. Let's go. Years. Let's go take a look at the numbers. Let's uh-huh. go back. If we if we uh-huh. want, uh-huh. let me go. Here if we, we want to go down this yeah, rabbit hole, I know. Hole. Every time you touch the ball, you average five I yards. I mean, you carry. just preached to us how people should have been more patient with Kelnick. You're just not giving D. Eskridge much grace. Yeah, because when you're in there, you've got to do something, Give right? Him some grace. Did start at training he camp for thir- Rashad Penny. He had 13 targets last year. What do you want the guy to do? Jeez, when he catches salt. the ball, do something with it. Be open. Get <laughs> more targets when you're in there. Question for crying out loud. Rashad Penny is a rookie averaged 4.9 yards per carry. Uh-huh. How many Rash- games was that? In Two. 14 games. <laughs> 85 rushes. All right. Oh. Okay. I mean, like, I'm not making this up. I'm looking at his pro football reference page here. In his rookie <laughs> year, he was played in 14 out of 16 games. He rushed 85 times, and he averaged 4.9 yards per carry. The next year, he had 65 attempts, and he rushed for... Five point uh, mm-hmm. seven yards per carry. Third year, you only played in three games. It was only three point one. So he the next showed year, you those, he showed you those the next flashes. Year, That's fair. One. That's fair. And, and I you give loved you that. him out of college, right? I liked him out of college a lot too. Yes. yes. Whereas I watched D. Eskridge's tape, and it was grainy Sasquatch tape <laughs> from the like D. Seven school that he played oh my at. Goodness. Like I, I don't know what to tell shots. you. This is my new favorite oh. player. Just I'm not taking shots. Later. Just I love the speed, and if he does something, that would be great. Was but, it Kalamazoo? Kalamazoo? I don't know. Directional Michigan school. He's from school. one of the directional Western Michigan schools. <laughs> yes. And the footage of him from college looked like it was taken on 8mm or something. It was like the Zapruder film. Oh, like, oh as I opposed think to I your guy, Derek Young at Lenore Rhine. But then, guess what? <laughs> the smallest school that they've ever taken a guy from. 
He showed up and did and something. And I love Derek Young. He did great on he special teams last year. But if you're gonna if you're gonna say Western Michigan, such a small school, I'm not, Lenore I don't Ryan. Care about going to a small Salk, school. Salk. Was I'm he? saying when you Salk. don't go to a big school and there isn't much tape, and then you don't do anything and you get hurt, you don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt. I'm not last saying you well, can't Rashad succeed. Rashad Penny hurt a finger his first year and it set yep. him back. Uh, D. Eskridge had a concussion where he concussion. had to go have like his vision examined. I understand that. I'm last not question the for being hurt. Last get question. Hurt. You want, but Salt. when you're healthy, be good. That's was he, all. Just answer me this: Was he a Bronco or a Chippewa? I don't know. What's the difference? What's I mean, who knows, man? Nobody Bronco. knows that. He was a Bronco. He was, he was a Bronco. I could see that. Well, maybe he could go to the Broncos. He'd fit right in over there, based on the lack of production so far. Sheesh. D. Eskridge in his career has a grand total of how many catches? In 20 games, not in like a game, in 20 games that he has been active for. How many catches does D. Eskridge have? Uh, seven. Mora? I don't know. On how many targets? I don't feel like he's been out there dropping balls Five. left and right. 17, yeah, 17 receptions. We admit 17 that. Receptions. 17 receptions for 122 we go. we yards go. in Let's his go. career. That's enough yes, that's a guy you got to give the benefit of the go. doubt to.